We're turning to Second Samuel chapter 21. Second Samuel chapter 21. verse 1. Now I want you to read these verses very carefully because I'm sure that God has something to say to us this morning from Then there was a famine in the days of David three years year after year And as we would say sometimes, it went on, and it went on, and it went on. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered. You see, the Lord does answer. The Lord answered and said, It is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to please the children of Israel and Judah. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? There must have been some of them escaped, Saul. There was a remnant of them here. And wherewith shall I make the atonement that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said unto him, We will have no silver nor gold of Saul, nor of his house. Neither for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, What ye shall say, that will I do for you. And they answered the king, The man that consumed us and that devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coast of Israel, let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aha, whom she bare unto Saul, Armonia and Mephibosheth. Now, of course, that's another Mephibosheth. And the five sons of Michal, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, son of the Brazilai, the Meholathite. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord. And they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest 
in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. Now watch close here. And Rizpah, the daughter of Ahai, took sackcloth, spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of harvest, until the water dropped upon them out of heaven, and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest in them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. And it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. And David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, the son of the men of Jabesh-Gilead, which had stolen from them in the streets of Bashan, where the Philistines hanged them when the Philistines had slain Saul in Gilboa. And he brought up from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan the son, and they gathered the bones of them that were hanged. And the bones of Saul and Jonathan the son buried they in the country of Benjamin in Zelah, in the sepulchre of Kish his father. And they performed all that the king commanded, and after that God was entreated for the land. And we'll end the reading there. And we know God will bless to us the public reading of his word. Droughts and famines and storms and cyclones, we're told today, are caused by global warming, astronomical cycles, carbon admissions, Destruction of the rainforests. Man with his plastic bags and paper bags. Man with his fertilizer and his fuels. They're the bogeymen. Accused of degenerating and destroying the planet Earth, so says the friends of the Earth. But not so in Scriptures. When this three-year famine and drought descended upon Israel, King David didn't blame the populace, he didn't blame the plastics, nor did he appeal to the scientists or the globalists or the environmentalists for an answer. Gaze upon verse 1, if you keep your Bible open, gaze upon verse 1. Then there was a famine in the days of David, three years And after three years, oh, can you imagine that? No early rain, no latter rain. No early rain, no latter rain. No early rain, no latter rain. Three years. And David inquired of the Lord. He says, Lord, Lord, what's wrong? And he got down before the Lord, and if you have a marginal reference, it says he sought the face of God. He went into a, le- a level of prayer above the ordinary prayer. My people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. David seeking the face of God. He says, Lord, what's wrong? What's wrong? Now, I don't know what, why it kept David so long in praying. I don't know why he didn't spot this sooner. Maybe he thought it would go away. And my friend, it wasn't going to go away. He cried unto God. 
Maybe there's some of you this morning and you're in a crisis. Maybe in a dilemma. Maybe you're waking up to the fact that you are in a crisis. Maybe you're waking up to the fact that you are in a dilemma. Maybe you're waking up to the fact that there's something else, there's something going on. Maybe it's to do with your health. Maybe it's to do with your work. Maybe it's to do with your family. Well, I say to you, don't be expecting it to go away because I can say if it's sanctioned from heaven, it'll not go away. Don't expect it to go away. Does God not send alarms and ring the bells to get us to pray? Does he not bring us into crises and trials and the troubles to get us to seek his face? Well, here's what he done here with the land of milk and honey. It's in three years of famine, three years in drought. And God is alerting the people to the fact that there's something wrong. There's something wrong. They're faced with a catastrophe here. Imagine three years of drought and famine in Israel. Imagine no rain, latter or latter or early rain for three years. This is an alarm bell that's ringing. I remember in 1969 and watching the old square round sort of television run of a generator down on the shores of Amana when Sir Terence O'Neill made that speech in 1969, Ulster's at the crossroads. And I have often believed since that God was ringing the bell and sounding the alarm to the people of Ulster and to the church. But of course we didn't heed it. Instead of praying, we paraded and politicked until we're in the mess that we're in. And God sounds the alarm and he he rings the bell and he says, listen, it's time to seek the Lord. It's time to call on God. God does ring the bell many times. When the bloody French Revolution reached the shores of southern England, God sounded the alarm. He was ringing the bell. He was calling the people and he got Wesley and Whitfield and a few and the Holy Club in Oxford and began to cry and they began to pray and they drove back the force of evil and saved Britain. When Hitler was moving over the white cliffs of Dover with his air force in the Battle of Britain, King George prorogued Parliament and he marched the speaker and the leader and the prime minister and all across the Westminster Cathedral and they had a day of prayer. And God stayed the land, stayed the plague. And can I say this morning what Hitler and Mussolini and the Emperor of Japan couldn't do in 1940, godless Europe, headed by Junker and Tusk and Merkel and Bakron and all the rest of them, are trying to do it by stealth. But I can tell you that the motive is the same and we need to wake up to the fact that the motive is the same. Beat into subjection. Beat into one world government. Beat in under the control of the Antichrist, the nation. Smash the United Kingdom. Destroy the foundations. And if the foundation be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? It's time to wake up. 
They tell me that this crisis that we're in with Brexit and what's going on and the confusion and the chaos in government this morning, what's going on, they tell me that it's, that it's a, as big a crisis as World War II. Well, if it's as big a crisis as World War II, why is the church still sleeping? Why is it that year after year after year after year there's a spiritual famine? If ever there was a text applied to the need of the church this morning, and my heart's burdened with this message. If ever there was a text applied to the church this morning, it's in Haggai. We're sowing much and bringing in little. We're casting our money into bags with holes in it. Is it not time, my dear friends, that we united and got together and the evangelical fundamental Christians got together and said, Lord, why are you contending with us? As Job says, wherefore contendest thou with me? Or like Gideon, why has all this befallen us? Where is the miracles of our Father? How long David cried, I don't know. But he got the answer. When he ended the supplication before God and got up, immediately the answer came. God said, David, it is for Saul. It is for Saul slaying the the Gibeonites 40 years before this. Saul slew and consumed and tried to wipe out the Gibeonites. And he He was breaking the covenant of God. Now listen. In Joshua chapter 9, 300 years before this, God made a covenant with the Gibeonites. And Saul, and and, and even Joshua's day, some of them tried to slay them, and Joshua said, don't touch them, or the wrath of God will be on them. There's a covenant of God upon these people. And God made them hewers of wood and drawers of water and he emerged them into the people of Israel. And he says, now touch them. That was 300 years and 40 years before this incident here. Saul in his wickedness and his evil in the last days of his reign slew and tried to wipe out all the Gibeonites. God is angry. Can I say that there's no record of Saul slaying them in the Scripture? But God had a record. And friend, there's things in your life and in my life and in the life of the church as a whole. My friend, maybe it has happened way back some time ago and you thought God had forgotten about it, but he hasn't. He hasn't. And just because judgment didn't come and just because everything seems to be going well doesn't think for a moment that God has wiped it under the carpet and forgotten about it. There's things to be put right.
those of the Gibeonites that has escaped are still here. And God has a record. He requires that which is past. And you know, these dear people never said a word about it. They quietly and submissively toiled on. But God said, I'm going to do something about it. There is a price to be paid before this famine's going to be lifted. There's an atonement has to be made. There's an appeasement has to be made before God, the wrath of God, is stayed from off the land. And it's going to be costly. It's going to be costly. Remember this, my friend. God judges nations. And if this scripture tells us anything, it tells us that that God judges nations and he judges kings and he'll judge, he'll judge Britain and is judging Britain for this damnable abortion act at 1967. Do you know what I read the other day? That they reckon that nine million children have been murdered since 1967. Hitler only gassed six million and you don't mention his name. God will judge the nations. And he'll judge this. I'll tell you, he'll judge this Sodomite act that's coming into our land tomorrow. And I'll tell you, you remember what I said, that the judgment of God is well and truly upon us. Gutless government and a gutless dormant. They can carry all the Bibles they like and they can sing all the hymns that they like doesn't cut any ice with God. The church is in a dilemma. The nation is in a crisis. And it's time to wake up. Time to wake up. When David got up from before the Lord, and the Lord said to him, it's because the Gibeonites, he immediately called the Gibeonites, whatever the one another was, he says, what were we going to do? What are we going to do that the plague will be lifted, that the land will be blessed, that the people will be spared? And you study this when you go home, and I love the answer that these people gave. They said, we neither want revenue, or revenge, or rights. Oh boy, that's all we hear about today. They didn't want a tribunal, they didn't want an inquiry, they didn't want a committee set up. They didn't want a victim's right or a historical commission set up. And millions spent on inquiries. Lolly, money, 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 money. Claim, claim, claim. If these people had any right to anything, it was them. Their whole people were almost wiped out and they never opened their mouth for 40 years. But God came out on their side. 
And you might have something in your heart this morning and people have annoyed you and people have said things about you and people have injured you, maybe your family. And listen, you haven't opened your mouth about it, but remember this, God knows. God knows. We don't want revenue. We don't want revenge. We don't want rights. All we want, all we want is Israel to be blessed. All, whatever it takes to stay the plague in the land, whatever it takes that the vines might grow again, whatever it takes that the gardens might flourish again, whatever it takes that the cattle may drink and the children may laugh again on the streets, whatever it takes for Israel. We want it. We don't want, a, we don't want them hanged in Jerusalem. And we don't want you to do it, David, either. We'll do it, and we'll do it at Gibeah, where it happened. We go back to the scene of the crime. God goes back, you know. He goes back to where it happened. I think these were good people. Whatever God wants, we want. And what God wants is seven sons of Saul. And not all sons, some are grandsons. Seven sons and grandsons of Saul. The only thing that's going to appease it, the only thing that's going to stay the plague, the only thing that's going to bring the blessing, the only thing that's going to bring the harvest back is the seven and one after another. They'll have to be hanged upon a tree, each of them on a tree in Gibeah until they die. Now I could go on into the gospel here this morning, but I'm not going to. But let me say there was one hung on a tree, my friend, to appease not only the land, but to appease the world as an atonement for our sins. And he died for you. And he spread eagle for you and bludgeoned him and spat on him for you. <coughs> Hang them high. Do you think that this was easy for them to do? Do you think that it was easy for David to do? Do you think it was easy for anything to do? Let me tell you that revival, revival will not come by clapping, it will not come by singing, and it will not come by hugging. <coughs> Day and I, and some of us were over at a conference, maybe ten years ago over in Scotland, and some of the world's speakers, great speakers on revival was there. And Carter Conlon was there from that church in New York and he preached on revival and he got a bit excited and he started to dance up and down through the pulpit and Colin Packham was an ex-speaker and Colin Packham, who's gone now, principal of the Bible, Colin Packham got up and he said this, he says we'll not dance our way into revival. It's costly, my friend. It's costly for God to open the heavens 
It's costly. There's things has to be put right. There's things in the back and the past has to be put right. It's costly for the, for the nation. It's costly for the province. It's costly for the church and it's costly for you. Now I want you to gaze at verse 10 here. For the spotlight now turns on one woman, one broken-hearted, grey-headed mother. God help her, I tried to visit what it must have been like for her. Did I have been living in this chapter for a fortnight? One grey-headed, weary, broken-hearted mother. Verse 10. And raised with the daughter of Ahai took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock. And from the beginning of harvest until water drops out of heaven, suffered now the boards of the air to rest on her two sons, by day or by night. Can you imagine this dear old soul wrapping herself in the sackcloth and getting up onto a rock and saying, I'm not moving. I'm staying here until the plague is lifted. I'm staying here till the famine's over. I'm staying here till the harvest fall, till the rain comes. And she did. Oh God, help us that we had women and men like that today. If we had people hungry today and thirsty today for our children and for our home and our family, this place would be packed like Saturday night. I wouldn't care whether you're shopping. I wouldn't care where you have to go if you have a hunger and a desire for God. And this dear old soul, and I think your two sons must have lived the longest because we don't read about that for any of the other family driving away the vultures at the day and driving away the wild boars and the foxes and the, and the jackals at night. She drove them away. When the, when the, when, when the vultures and the, and, 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 and the seagulls or whatever other, and the ravens and whatever other dirty birds there were come to pack the flesh, to strike the children, to strike the two boys, she drove them away. That's my boy! Don't touch my boy. We talk about our loved ones being saved. We talk about our loved ones. Oh, we need to see our son saved. We need to see our daughter saved. We need to see our children. But you never hear them opening their mouth in the prayer meeting. And coming up to Halloween, I'll tell you this, we need mothers and we need fathers to cry to God, that's my child, that's my boy, that's my, that's my family, don't touch him. Because I haven't time this morning but the birds of the air by day and the animals and the foxes and the lions at night, I tell you, are symbolic of the devil. And she screamed and she shouted and every time some of them came near them she roared and drove them away. Oh, my dear friends, you see, there was bereavement. 
the sackcloth speak of mourning? Isn't that like Mary? Oh, blessed, lovely, Virgin Mary. And she was the Virgin Mary underneath the cross. That's, that's my boy. That's my only son. That's my only son. He never sinned. He's not there for anything he done. I tell you, these sons of Saul didn't do anything. And this woman didn't do anything. But they're paying a price for something that was done. Let me be very careful as I say this this morning. Don't let this assembly be paying a price for something you have done. Now listen, there was a letter written. The end of October last year, a nameless, shameless letter that nearly destroyed a family full of inaccuracies and ill-truths. Don't you think God doesn't know? God requires that which is past. And unless there's repentance, I don't know what effect it has on this assembly. I don't know what effect it has on the life of those that are involved in it, but I know from the heart of God this morning that he's angry with it. There has to be brokenness, there has to be bereavement, there has to be confession, there has to be repentance. You see the bereavement, then there's the battle. She battled she battled morning and she battled at night. She says, I'm not giving up. I'm not letting go. And then there was the bones. That's why I read on there. They took the bones. There was nothing left but bones. What does that tell me? It tells me that all flesh was gone. All the flesh was gone. That's where we have to get to death of the flesh. That's where we have to get. Nothing but bones. We need to get dead to self-pity, self-esteem, self-love, self-praise. These hyphenated sins that Ravenel used to call. And when we become base and foolish and weak and despised, that no flesh shall glory in his presence. 
We're candidates then for lastly the blessing. Remember the valley of dry bones? Remember Ezekiel? Can these bones live? There were many, many, and they were very dry. And he says, you know, Lord, you know whether they live or not. There was nothing but bones. I'll tell you, when you get to the bones, there's a great place for God to work when there's nothing to work with. When all the pride's out of the way, and all the selfishness out of the way, and all the jealousies out of the way, and all the backbiting's out of the way. Can these bones Yes, they can. It's all we are anyway. We're all bones, and we're going to end up bones if he doesn't come. And then the blessing. After this, God was entreated for the land. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, there was a drop. <laughs> a dear old soul stayed there. She says, I'm not moving, I'm not going, I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay to, to the drop, to the harvest, to the rains come. Oh, I tell you, this must have been wonderful when the, when the rain began to fall. She knew then that God was satisfied. She knew then that the blockages were out of the way. She knew then that what held back the famine for all those years, God in his mercy and many God could have let it go on. But he sounded the alarm by bringing the famine, by bringing the death. He sounded the alarm. He's shown them day after day, year after year. Now unless there's something wrong here, there's something wrong in our nation, there's something wrong in our land, something wrong in our church. And I'm sounding the alarm this morning. And I'm ringing the bell this morning. And I believe from the heart of God this morning. I never preached on this message before. God give me this message. I know he gave it. He says, Bertie, there's a famine. And I have to search my own heart. And I said, Lord, show me. Show me, Lord. And show me and I'll put it right. I'll put it right. And if God has shown you something this morning, and if you have any doubt at all in your life, it may be, it may be, some things I'm doing or some things I'm saying or something else, it may be that God is angry with me. But oh, praise his lovely name this morning. There's a way back. Praise his lovely name this morning that he warns us and he tells us and he shows us, he has shown me some things that have been very painful, let me tell you, over the years. Very painful. And at the time I didn't know how or what way they'd go, but I'll tell you this morning, I wouldn't have it any other way. Let us search our hearts this morning. Let us say to the Lord, what is it, Lord? What's wrong? 
God bless these people is all I see. They were just hewers of wood and drawers of water. They were second-class citizens. They came, remember, with the old clouts and the old rags and they're all and they told lies to Josh and yet God loved them. And God said, don't touch them, bring them in. Just let them alone, bring them in. God's full of grace and he's full of love and full of mercy this morning. And you might say to me, as a man said not long ago, I'm not a very big fella in your church, he says, but I come and he does. God bless you, you do. And you mightn't be in the deacon and you mightn't be an elder and you mightn't be other things, but let me say this this morning. God loves you. And he wants to bless you. And he wanted to bless Israel, and of course he did. He wanted to revive. He didn't want to see the cattle die, and he didn't want to see the the vineyards parched up with the sun year after year. He didn't want to do it, but he couldn't overlook it because it was a covenant, a covenant. God's covenant. Don't fool about with God's word and God's covenant. Everybody else might forgot about it, but God hasn't. And so I pray this morning that you'll take from God what he has given to you. And that we might take heed and say, Lord, why is there no revival? Why is there no showers of blessing? Why is there mission after mission, meeting after meeting, and campaign after campaign, and church after church being set up all over the country? Why is it all, Lord, and we're in such a state? Is it God's fault? Has he no power? Well, it behoves us this morning, individually and collectively, to ask him to show us and then he'll be entreated for the land and the harvest will come and the rain will fall and the blessing will come back. Let us pray. Just settle down now in the Lord's presence. Don't be angry with me. I'm only God's servant, that's all. Our Father, we thank you for unburdening our hearts this morning. We know, Lord, it's not only to these dear people, but 
far and wide. Lord, we believe this message needs to go out. Lord, let us not be contented with things as they are. Let us not settle on our lees. Oh God, give us women and men like this dear soul. Forgive us, Lord, we pray. Forgive me. Forgive us, Lord. And cleanse us afresh, Lord, this morning. Bless those who go now and those who stay around the table and those bless us today and bring us back in the power of the Holy Spirit tonight. For Jesus' sake, Amen.